Hi, I'm your host, Juliette Root. Welcome to the WooCast. I've been in the health and wellness industry for the last 15 years as a personal trainer, board certified nutritionist and integrative healing coach. My passion is to motivate and support people in having a healthy and thriving, joyful life. This podcast will educate, inspire and empower you as we dive deep into everything from spirituality to mysticism, alternative medicine and human optimization. Most importantly, my hope is that this show feels like a nice warm hug of connection and support from others who are also interested in living a life that isn't just about surviving and getting by, but a life that is truly thriving. Please enjoy this episode. And I would be so grateful if you could support the podcast by subscribing, rating and reviewing. If you use Apple Podcasts, this is the best place to do this. So the show can rank and be seen. And the more people that can have access to this show, the healthier the world becomes. It is truly a ripple effect. So please Please spread the love and enjoy. Welcome to the WooCast episode 70. I'm your host, Juliette Root, and today I have the very special Coot Blackson. He is the author of the national best-selling book, You Are the One, as well as his newest book, The Magic of Surrender. Coot is widely considered the next generational leader in the field of personal development by everyone ranging from Larry King, Jack Canfield, Marianne Williamson, John Gray, Don Miguel Ruiz, and many more. He has also been featured on Larry King Now and the national morning show Fox and Friends. He has been called in Inc. Magazine the mindfulness guru billionaires go to for advice. He's a charismatic visionary, a transformational leader, and Coot offers us a fresh, bold look at spiritual awareness for a whole new generation. I am so excited to have him on the show today. And without further ado, here is episode 70 with Coot Blackson. All right. And we are live here with Coot Blackson. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm very excited to chat with you. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, so many things have been running through my mind all morning. It's the afternoon here now. And I just resonate with your message a lot. I know you have a brand new book coming out that we're going to get into. And I have a lot of questions around that and how that whole project got started for you. First, um, I would love to just give the listeners a background on who you are and why you are here. <laughs> this is the question I think we are all meant to ask ourselves, like, who am I and why am I here? And so in a nutshell, I was born in Ghana, West Africa. My father's from Ghana. My mother's Japanese. I grew up in London until uh, I was 18 and now the U.S. and partly Mexico. And so... I feel as though I'm a citizen of the world, a soul uh, from everywhere, nowhere. Uh, from a very young age, I always felt a deep uh, sense of people's pain. And so there was, a, uh, there was a part of me being a sensitive kid that I would feel people suffering very deeply and always wanted to alleviate people's suffering in some way, shape or form. I didn't know what that would look like. And so I grew up in this very uh, spiritual, mystical kind of environment where my first memories as a young boy was seeing a crippled woman crawling on the floor and she picks up the sand that this man walks and wipes it on her face and stands up. And so this was a miracle, so to speak. Uh, every week I grew up seeing blind people see and deaf people hear and people stand up out of wheelchairs. The same man who essentially picked up would look at a woman in a wheelchair and say, why are you in this wheelchair? Like, 
you're not sick, stand up. And he would touch them and they would stand up or someone would come in with crutches and he would say, throw your crutches away, start walking. And they would walk. And so miracles were around. This man was my father. He built uh, 300 churches in Ghana, West Africa. He was considered the miracle man of Africa, very mystical, metaphysical, spiritual teacher, spiritual guru, you could say to some people. Um, built a huge church in London. So I grew up in this context, but it didn't really seem that unusual to me. It didn't seem that special. It didn't that's seem what that I was going to ask you. If that's, if that's your norm, if that's what you grow up seeing, like, you don't have context for that. That is very abnormal think, here, think, you know, in, in America, people, you know, this is why I named this podcast, the woo cast, because things like <laughs> that seem very woo woo and out there to Seems, people. But it didn't seem Honestly, it was no big people. Oh, that sounds so strange. No, it just sounded like brushing your teeth, taking a shit, eating breakfast, and miracles happening. It honestly didn't seem that big of a deal. It didn't seem like any deal. It's just all I knew. And I think that was also one of the blessings because I, I because it seemed so natural and normal, I grew up with this sense that there were no limits so to speak. And I think that was a blessing because I, there was always a part of me that felt as though anything was possible. And, and, and um, when I was age eight, I started speaking in my father's churches. And that was when my speaking career began. And at 14, I was ordained as a minister and I was given the mandate to take over my father's organization. And as much as I wanted to help people, I knew that this was not my path. I, I had a deep sense that this was not my trajectory to do it through uh, organized religion or a church. And there was a deep turmoil inside of me because I love my father. He was kind of iconic to me, yet I felt a different calling. And I was so torn. My, my fear was if I dared to speak my truth and I dared to be who I was and I dared to tell him how I felt, then I'd lose his love. I'd be outcast. I'd be alone. I'd be abandoned. And so for four years, I said nothing and went along with it. And I think like many of us do, I allowed fear to hijack who I am and hijack my freedom and was too afraid to be who I was, you know? And so it took me four years to really muster up the courage to have a conversation with my father. And I looked in, basically I turned 18 and I looked into my future and I saw that I had to make some decisions for myself and my life in terms of what I'm going to do. And I felt this huge calling to come to the US. I felt this huge calling to come to America. The feeling inside of me was, you know, I grew up reading also in my teens, a lot of uh, self-help books from the American self-help icons, everyone from Wayne Dyer, Louise Hay, Deepak Chopra, Marianne Williamson, to the motivational folks, Mark Hansen, Jack Campbell, Les Brown, Zig Ziglar. And so most of these folks lived in Southern California. And I felt this huge soul calling to go into this field. When I would read their books, it opened up a whole new possibility for me that, oh, it doesn't have to be done through a religion or through a church. And so my soul was calling me in one direction. All the expectations of society took me in another direction. And I looked into my future, projected, and I saw that, you know, age 20, age 25, age 40, age 50, age 60, that I could follow the expected path for my life. But 
if I didn't have myself and be successful, but if I didn't have myself, if I didn't have my soul, if I didn't have my truth, if I didn't have my own alignment, my own integrity, then what kind of success is that? And that you can't be truly fulfilled and happy being someone that you're not or living someone else's life. And so I made a, a difficult decision to leave everything behind, which was terrifying for me at a young age. But uh, I felt like I didn't have a choice, you know, and I felt such a depth of pain in my own self-betrayal that if I started to lie to myself in that moment, then I would have to basically lie to myself my entire life. And so in that sense, I just, you know, it was a lot of heartbreak, uh, fear of breaking my father's heart, breaking my own heart. And I, I told my father I'm not taking over and came to the U.S. Two suitcases, uh, one suitcase full of clothes, one suitcase full of self-help books, $800, showed up in the U.S. with nothing other than a vision and a calling and my soul following my soul's calling. And I really, that's when I really knew and felt my life being guided by something bigger than myself uh, because uh, I ended up winning a green card in the green card lottery. And that was what brought me to the U.S. and gave me the courage to follow my dreams. Because in that moment, I felt as though there was a deeper intelligence that was guiding my life. That you could sense, sense that. Logic. You could feel I into could that. feel it. Well, here's what happened. Like when I told my father, I'm not taking over. I was terrified. Mm-hmm. I was scared of shit. I couldn't believe it. You know, sometimes people say, be fearless. I was terrified. Um, but I just felt this thing pulling me. And I did. It wasn't logical. I just felt this thing pulling me. And it was... I I guess I could have resisted it, but it it just felt like the pull was too strong. And, you know, I've read so much about, hey, if you you follow your soul, everything unfolds, universe is supporting you, da, 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 da. So I believed it. And then, then I had this conversation with my father and then nothing happened. I'm like, shit, what do I do? Like, I'm trusting and following. I feel this thing is aligned. But now I have no money, no college degree, no connections, no nothing. And that's when I felt so alone, abandoned, like I was falling in a dark hole. And I said to the universe, I said this prayer. Um, I said, okay, if this stuff works, if any of this woo-woo, self-help, spiritual, you know, metaphysical, if this stuff works, like I need to know now. And in the depth of my confusion, I think whenever we step into the unknown, we have to be willing to to know that we're going to step outside of that comfort zone into the sort of abyss of confusion. And that's a part of the process. Confusion is a part of the process. And so when I was in the height of my confusion, about to give up, about to go back, about to you know put my tail between my legs and turn around and just crawl back to what I knew, literally that day, someone hands me a magazine called The Economist in the back of the magazine. When they handed me the magazine, and I never read this before, I'm 18, I felt this weird thing, you know? Like I felt this like, huh, this is, this is like weird. So I opened the magazine and it's a feel. sometimes it's a feeling and I've just learned to pay attention to that feeling because many times in the moment, I don't understand what the feeling is. And so, you know, I was pretty young and I thought, oh, what's this feeling? So I opened the back, I'm scrolling to the back. And in the back is American government's given with 55,000 green cards and the green card lottery. And that's when beyond my logic, I, I knew, I didn't know why, 
I, I just had this note, I'm going to win this green card. And I entered it, asked no questions. It, was, it wasn't that straightforward because it, it was like a four-month process. And every day, they basically say, by September the 18th, this was April, by September the 18th, if you don't hear that you want a green card, just go on with your life. And every day I was fully expecting to win this damn green card. And I go to the, my mailbox and wait for a, a letter from the U.S. Nothing, nothing, nothing. April, May, June. I'm visualizing. I'm meditating. I'm doing my affirmations. I'm seeing, you know, was it Clinton or Bush, you know, uh, shake my hand, welcoming me to the U.S. I'm, I, I literally drew a green card on a piece of paper and I'm, I'm doing my visualization. Nothing. September the 18th. Nothing. Now I'm pissed off. Now I'm mad. Now I'm truly doubting that any of this stuff works. Now I'm thinking maybe I'm crazy, but I felt something that I couldn't deny. And I think so many of us, because we don't see the manifestation in the physical reality, we think we're crazy. We did not, we, we start doubting ourselves or we give up. And so I said, okay, I'm going to go to the U S that was the final day. I figured I hadn't won. And I said, I'm going to go to the U S and I'm just going to pack my bags and go. I packed my bags and I was going to buy, I told my mother, I'm going to buy a ticket the, in the next few days. And that night is when I got a phone call and the phone call, my mother picks up. She says, this is American guy. He, he, she has the phone to me and she says, is this Mr. Blackson? I said, yes. And he says, uh, this is the law firm you applied through. You've won a green card. And here I am in jubilation. I'm celebrating. I'm in joy. I'm, I'm like, well, I can't believe it. I'm jumping around the house. In that moment, I hear this voice, this gentle voice that says, why are you so surprised? You, you knew you were going to win. Did you doubt? Why are you so surprised? In that moment, I've never forgotten because coming to America, it was very difficult. It was very hard. There were moments I had no food to eat. I was stealing food out of the supermarkets, couch surfing, sleeping on floors, you know, crazy things. And that moment of faith, that moment of manifestation, whenever I wanted to give up, I've referenced that moment of remembrance, like this, there's something that is guiding you, even if, you, if you're not clear in the moment. And so there's moments I've doubted, but that, that's acted as a reference and an anchor, you know, for me in my life. Yeah. Absolutely. There's so much I want to go into. I want to circle back. I want to talk about this power of belief and trust. Sure. sure. And going back to seeing these spontaneous, miraculous healings, right? So with, I've been so fascinated, fascinated by this, especially lately. I've been really listening to the works of Joe Dispenza a lot. Who's showing so much of this happening. And, um, I'm like, I'm, I'm right now, like manifesting, going to an advanced course of his. (laughs) So, um, there's a wait list, but I put myself on it. I'm like, I just, you know, you feel it. Like there's, I want to be able, I want to experience this for myself, right? This is how we, we have to experience to know we can't just think our way into knowing that something is real. We have to have the actual experience or see it to believe it, which is why a lot of people, even if they hear like, Oh, you experienced that, but I still don't believe that because I've just heard it or I've read it in a book or I've listened to it on a podcast. But how do somebody is, how important is this idea of the power of belief? You know, okay. On one level, I think it's important, but people say, Oh, miracles, miracles. Wow. Wow. So amazing. Your father, all these things. And I think to myself, wait a second, you don't even have to believe you don't even have to be spiritual. Because every single one of us as human beings, just 
Look inside for a moment. Just look inside. You're breathing right now. I'm breathing right now. We're not sitting here going, okay, I got to believe that I can breathe. I got to really do this special, you know, breath from the Himalayas and do this amazing thing. It's just happening in spite of you, in spite of me. We are being breathed. The breath is happening. It's happening thousands of times a day spontaneously. Cut your finger right now. You don't have to believe. You don't have to believe in anything. You don't have to pray, meditate. It, there's an innate intelligence inside of you that is doing it, whether you, in a sense, whether you believe or don't believe, this innate intelligence inside of you knows how to heal. You ate breakfast this morning. You had lunch or dinner or, you know, drank a smoothie. How, how does this smoothie go inside of you? And it turns it, it somehow turns into your hand, and your hand doesn't turn into a smoothie or a banana or a kale or a salmon. Like what? What the hell is this intelligence? And so, so we somehow don't believe, yet we are the very living proof of the freaking miracle. You know, people say, "I want to see miracles." I'm like, this is when I was, you know, 18, 19 when I come to the U.S. and I tell people because people in America hadn't seen this stuff. The only time they'd seen this stuff was, you know, charlatans on TV. And I grew up seeing it every day. And I would say to them, just look in the freaking mirror. Like, like you're looking for some miracle that's woo-woo when the fact is, the fact that there are trillions and trillions of cells inside of your body interacting right now, that, that elements from the stars are, are, are a part of your, you know, your DNA right now, and they are interacting inside of you, eyesight, digestion, your hair's growing, and you know, heart beating and blood pumping, kidney, it's all happening in spite of you. Mm-hmm. It's like, like, I think what you're tapping into here is this like great remembering that I think you've touched touched on in a couple of podcasts that I listened to, which is, and that we're starting to wake up. Like we are starting to have this happen. And to me, that in itself is there's this, there's this greater intelligence that is guiding this, our consciousness collectively, this consciousness that is starting to elevate and people that I never thought would be interested in this this idea of this 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 divine unity are all of a sudden going wait i remember that is how things are that is the great intelligence and yet mystery too because we can't we can't know we have to have the mystery in order to Mm. be in this human experience is what i've been tapping into for myself right constantly needing to know and and control it is part of what kind of like keeps us held back from the true experience mm. of being human on, on this earth is, and that's my own personal sort of what I've been feeling into for yeah. me lately. Yeah, we, we, we are, we are miracles. We are miracles. Every moment is, a, I went to the Griffith Park Observatory with my girlfriend yesterday and she said, okay, you got to read this. I'm going to read, I'm going to read you what was literally in the observatory of this astronomy, astronomy observatory. And it says, Everything around us contains material that was once a part of a star. The cells in our body, the airs that we breathe, and the materials that make up the planets in our solar system are all linked to the stars through chemical elements. Hello. I mean, just, just that alone is, is miraculous. And so I think if we can just meditate on what we are, then we begin to shift our relationship with ourselves and life itself. If we look at the sun, the stars, the moon, you know, all of existence that's been functioned by the same source energy. And we can remember like you and I, we are a part of this nature. There's miracles all around us. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think when we, when we really feel, we talk about when we really feel that 
and 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 breathe that in and 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 expand that feeling, then we completely, I would say, shift our resonance, our frequency, our vibration, and just become more magnetic to even more amazing things. Yeah. Yeah. This idea of separation that we are, our personality, that we are this identity that we hold on to so dearly is I think what holds so many people back. And if you could touch on that a little bit, because I know you talk about this a lot when it comes to manifesting what you truly want or allowing what you say the universe to sort of work its magic through you versus you trying to control what you want based on who you think you are. Yeah. I think, look, many times you might get what you thought you wanted. Like you said, an intention, you know, we're often taught get clear on what you want, know what you want, get clarity. And I think that has a place and is great, but I would say to a degree it's limited in a certain sense because sometimes you might get what you thought you wanted, but then you end up realizing that what you thought you wanted was not what you really wanted. It was just what you thought you wanted based on who you thought you were, which is conditioned in and of itself from the past and childhood and traumas and, you know, ancestors. And so many times our goals and our intentions of what we want to manifest or what we think we want to manifest can be projections of unmet needs from childhood. And so it may not be what we really want. And, and I think we're not really taught to ask the question, like, who is the I that wants? Who, who, who am I, really? We are conditioned to believe that we are this structure, this mind-body mechanism, this form, this coot, this John, this Susie, this, you know, whoever we, we, we're labeled to believe ourselves to be. We're conditioned to believe we are this ego structure. And I think the real freedom to manifest starts happening when we realize and remember who we truly are, who we really are. And so when we're children, just in terms of the process of conditioning, when we're children, we are, we're truly free when we're, when we're young, before the process of getting conditioned and self-identification, we're truly free. If you look at a child, a child is in touch with their divine nature. Child is in touch with the miracle that they are. They're just being that miracle. They're not questioning it. They're not doubting it. They're, you know, they'll run naked and look at the stars and the being and curiosity. They're living the free flow of surrender. They're in touch with the aliveness of just pure essence. They'll sing and they don't care if they can't sing like Celine Dion. They'll run naked and they don't care if they're fat and what they look like on Instagram. They're just being pure light. I think that's why when we look at children, we're reminded of ourselves. And so what happens is we're born and we incarnate into this 3D human experience. And we're born into a perhaps a preset framework of conditioning. We meet our parents and our parents, they're just doing the best that they can do based on their conditioning and their past and their childhood and their, you know, uh, their, their traumas from, from their ancestors. And so we all have some level of dysfunction that we're born into. Maybe, maybe dad's an alcoholic. Mom has mental health issues. Maybe they're fighting all the time. Maybe there's divorce, breakups, abandonment. Maybe they're great people, but they don't know how to meet our emotional needs. So two things really begin happening. The first thing is we learn to begin shutting down, disconnecting and not, and all sorts of defense mechanisms to not feel the pain of our environment, what's going on around us. So we shut down, disconnect, not feel. We develop all sorts of uh, survival strategies in order to never feel that pain again. And so now we kind of contort into a certain shape of like, oh, if I just, you know, go into this defensive posture, then I never have to feel this pain again of 
feeling helpless, feeling out of control. And we start suppressing all of those feelings down. So now the, the unconscious pattern of control to never feel that pain again, to manage my environment, control starts getting reinforced into our nervous system as a way of being to function and survive. And all of the feelings that we've learned to suppress and suppress and suppress and suppress start building up so that our true nature, our true light begins to get sort of buried and hidden underneath the layers of unprocessed feeling. And then we learn uh, a way of being to go into the world and the sense of who do I need to be in order to fit in? Who do I need to be in order to get love and validation and approval? I'll be nice. I'll be kind. I'll be shy. I'll be quiet. I'll be funny. I'll be, you know, the list goes on and we start developing a role, a mask and persona, which is another form of control. If I can control myself and manipulate myself, then maybe you'll love me. And maybe dad will love me and mom will love me. And so before you know it, now we become adults and we've locked ourselves into a kind of shape, a pattern of conditioning that we become, that we think is who we are. But it's really the pattern of conditioning that we've learned to become in order to function, survive, avoid pain and get love. And the more tightly we hold on to that, the more we believe ourselves to be this thing. This is just who I am is what we often say. But the more tightly we believe ourselves to be this, that's reinforced by ourselves, by our parents, by media, by society, by religion, by education, the less free we are. And so the degree to which we are conditioned is the degree to which we're not free. And so I think the more tightly we held on to this, the, the less in tune and in alignment we will be to really feel what is most real and most true and most authentic in terms of what we want to manifest because we're going to be locked into this egoic idea of what we think our life should be. And, and so I, I think first we have to realize before even trying to manifest, we have to realize that we are conditioned and really start becoming aware that we are conditioned and begin to question our conditioning and then have the willingness to start feeling underneath some of the layers of feelings that we have learned to suppress. Cause I think the more we can, go beyond that conditioning, unravel that conditioning, release that conditioning, the more we are then able to open and surrender and be available to the the deeper, most authentic impulse of what life is seeking to express and manifest through us that we may not have been open to because we were so tightly held on to who we were and what we thought life should be that we weren't truly open to what's real, what's true, what's authentically seeking to emerge through us because we're so attached to our ego's idea of how our life should be. And so I think that openness, that availability of moving beyond our own self-contraction, our own conditioning is really key in order to manifest authentically and manifest in a way that we take the limits off of life because sometimes we don't realize that we end up so attached to a certain idea attached to a certain goal that we're not available, that mm-hmm. we, that we end up limiting life. And so I think there is a new way of manifesting where we ask the question, what, what is it that, what is it that life is seeking to express through me? What is it that my soul is seeking to express through me? What is the deepest impulse of what life is seeking to create and manifest through me and allow ourselves to be fully available and open to that? I love something that you said too, which is, 
instead of goal setting, you talk about soul setting, which I think is just so beautiful. I'm going to definitely be reminded of that now from you. So thank you for that. What do you think of this idea of free will and your destiny and this karmic (sighs) path that you're on? Because as I think back to my incarnation and things that I've had to go through in order to get to the spiritual awareness of where I am today, it was a ton of hardship in my childhood. Lots of lots and lots of trauma. And like you at, uh, 17, I had to run off and kind of start my life and, uh, go through a really tough time. At the same time, I did feel underneath this kind of soft, almost knowing. And I, I, I read it in a journal recently at 16 at my father passed at 16. I won't go into the whole story, but I was left an orphan when he passed and had to sort of become an adult at that age. But I wrote it in a journal and I'll never forget it because it says, I'm in the most emotional pain I've ever felt in my life, but I know that I'm going to get through this. There was something there that was like, this is, I getting goosebumps now, which I often do when I feel that something is very true in my system. I have an emotional reaction to it, which is that was part of my life's path was to have these certain experiences and losses in order to get to where I am today with my understanding and spirituality Um, and many more things since then. So I would love to hear your take on that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think on a one dimensional level, the degree to which we're wrapped inside of our own egoic identification and conditioning is we don't have free will anyway. You know, we, we're being run by our past. And people talk about, oh, I have free will. No, you don't. If you look at the relationships you've chosen and the things you've done, that wasn't really a free choice. It was run by pain and trauma and hurt just from this lifetime alone. Forget other lifetimes. And so from that level, on the one-dimensional level, the degree to which we're conditioned, we don't have free will. We're being run by the conditioning of our past pain, unresolved trauma. And so I think what we can begin doing on this level is healing ourselves and transforming ourselves and doing the inner work to free up that sort of human level, uh, mental, emotional, psychological, physiological conditioning so that we can uh, open to more dimensions of freedom within ourselves and greater degrees of our unconsciousness so that we can begin to navigate this reality with more insight, more clarity, more authenticity, so that we can perhaps make more aligned choices, which will then also affect the results in our future. So that's, I would say, one level. Now, on a deeper level, I do believe that we are first and foremost souls. And as souls, we come into this human experience in order to learn, to grow, to evolve. We come into this human experience. And to me, life is a school. Life is a school. And I think we come into and, and every experience, every situation, every relationship, everything we go through is part of the curriculum for our soul's evolution, serving our souls to learn, to grow, to evolve so that we can heal, we can evolve, we can resolve, we can realize our true nature in this experience and through this experience. And so that being said, I do think as souls, we might incarnate with some energetic, let's say vibrational energetic uh, uh, tendencies or momentum that we perhaps need to move through and heal through based on if there's such a thing, past lives, or at least based on the karmic, also karmic momentum 
of our own ancestral lineage, because even the unresolved uh, karmic energies and traumas and unresolved karmic uh, karmas from our ancestors, uh, there's a momentum to that that continues through generations. And so we're also kind of born into that stream of energy that then affects our destiny, affects our life, affects our own evolution. And so I do believe that we do have some lessons to learn, which is why there might be certain dynamics and situations that we kind of keep recreating or certain dynamics or situations that we keep going through. But I think when we can then start looking at life from that soul perspective, not just the goal line, but the soul line and start understanding, oh, if this is a classroom and I'm here to grow and evolve, then we're able to shift our relationship to life so that when you go through something, it's not just, ah, this, this is bad, this is right, this is wrong, this is good, this is bad, why is this happening to me and being a victim? But really trusting that life is about your soul evolution. Then you start focusing on what is my soul seeking to learn in this situation? What is my soul seeking to evolve through this situation, this, this lesson with this person, with this individual? And I think when we shift our focus to that deeper dimension, then we learn the lessons. Then in the learning of the lessons, the integration, the embrace, the healing of those patterns within ourselves, some of which might be reoccurring, uh, then I think when we shift, then we are able to, let's just say, change our destiny. Mm. Then, then we're able to tr begin transcending the karma and transcending the destiny. And even though there might be certain, uh, for some of us, certain tendencies, like uh, uh, certain patterns that might be reoccurring, even if we do transcend, because that's the classroom that we're in. Like someone in for four years, they take biology. Someone for four years in, in university, they take, you know, applied physics and even if you pass the test for four years, you take that damn class and that's it. And, and so if you're not I in think, that, if, what if you haven't taken the class in a couple of years, you could easy to forget, right? Yes. And so I think when we can remember that, then, oh, this is what my soul is here to learn in this experience. Then we don't have to keep fighting it going, oh, why is this happening again? Why am I just in this situation again? Then we can start changing our relationship too, so that when those patterns and tendencies tend to come up, we can meet them with much more of a rigor and an intensity and, and surrender to, this is the lesson I'm here to learn in this lifetime. Oh, I'm here to learn patience. Oh, I'm here to learn how to own my voice. Oh, I'm here to learn how to access my feminine. I'm here to learn how to embrace fill in the blank. And then even when some of those patterns have a tendency to keep reoccurring, even when we feel like we, we uh, resolve them, we understand the classroom. Then, then our relationship with the classroom and our karma can be more spacious mm -hmm. and then more graceful. Then we can move through it. Then we can begin to elevate ourselves is what I would say. So I think yeah. from the healing and the shift in our relationship, we can start changing our destiny, transcending it. But then when we heal, I think we then begin to literally rearrange the energy patterns and the karmic destiny for the generations to come. And so I think one of the greatest gifts that we can give the next generation is the resolution of the unresolved shit from ourselves, 
and the unresolved patterns and addictions, et cetera, that have often been passed down to us so that those patterns don't have to be recreated in future generations, then we are literally changing the destiny for future generations. It seems like that is what's happening right now from my observation. And it could just be, you know, because I'm in this world and I'm witnessing a lot because I'm paying attention to it. But it seems to be that we're in this almost like this timeline jump right now for people that they are all of a sudden waking up to their generational ancestral trauma and understanding that, wow, I can be the one to make this shift in this lifetime that will then impact generation after generation after generation. Like the buck stops here with me. So it's so much greater than just, of course, it's amazing to have your own individual healing, but it's so much more beyond that because it's healing for our future children and their children and so on and so forth to literally have a different world, a different way of relating and being and experiencing than what we've had. So I find this time to be so exciting right now. It's very, very potent. Potent. Like everybody's like in this alchemy that's happening right now. Tell me a little bit about for, for the listeners. And then I want to dive into this book because it's just so incredible, but Truth as our most powerful currency. Yeah. What do you yeah, mean it's, by it's, that when for the listeners? Truth simple. as our most I powerful think, currency. I, I think truth is real spirituality. Mm. Uh, I would say stop meditating. This is going to be look sound extreme. Stop <laughs> meditating. Stop praying. Stop going to temples. Stop doing yoga. Stop doing Reiki. Stop doing. Stop telling yourself the truth because none of that stuff is really going to work if you're lying to yourself, rationalizing, BSing yourself, and living a lie. To me, real spirituality, real spiritual practice is telling the truth, live the truth, feel the truth, speak the truth, you know, embody the truth. Your life will change. What if somebody's thinking of spirituality? I don't know what's true because we outsource, many of us outsource our truth, right? We look to others to tell us what's right, what's wrong, what's real. So I would question that because honestly, that is a cop out. Mm. That is bullshit. That is a cop out because deep down, if we're really honest, if I put a gun to your head right now and I said, tell me the truth, likely, likely. Oh, I said, I'm going to put a gun to your child's head. Tell me the truth. You would tell me the truth. How many times have we, be, have you, I want to say we, me included, we've been in a relationship with someone that we were like, sure, I love them, but should I stay? And I'm not sure if it's right. And you, and you, and you, you would bug your girlfriend and like, I don't know if this is right. Should I stay? Should I leave him? Should I go? Should I stay? Should I? And then finally, three years later, you broke up and, and you told your, your friend, I broke up with, with, with Tom. And then, and then you finally told your friend, I knew it wasn't going to work. We, we, we know there's a part of us at this level. If we're really honest, that knows. Mm-hmm. That knows. Because at the deepest level, we are a part of everything. We are connected to everything. So I think it takes tremendous courage to own the truth. Because when we own the truth, that's full responsibility. And there's, and there's no more excuses when we own the truth. And part of it is, you know, as human beings, we, because of our conditioning, which I spoke about earlier, we sometimes don't even know that we're lying. We're not conscious that we're even lying. We think that we're telling the truth and telling the truth, but we're not conscious that we're lying. And so we stay in relationships that we know aren't aligned. We work jobs that we're kind of compromising our integrity. And deep down, it's painful inside. And so for me, we have to start with the truth. Number one, just ask yourself the question, what lies am I telling myself? 
Just begin there. What lies am I telling myself? I, I always say you have to want the truth more than you want what you have. And you have to want the truth more than you want what you want. To real freedom is not free. It's going to require the truth. It's going to require that you let go of whatever it is that you might be holding on to that is no longer aligned. But often as human beings, because of our own egoic identity, we hold on to what is no longer aligned out of fear, out of self-preservation, out of security, out of comfort. And so truth, the willingness to just begin with the truth, the truth. What am I lying to myself? It takes courage because as a culture, we're not conditioned to tell the truth. We're not encouraged to tell the truth. We're conditioned to suppress the truth from childhood. Don't cry. Don't say that. Don't be that way. Don't act that way. Survival mechanisms to get. And so if we can just start with the truth and have the courage that starts shifting everything. What lies am I telling myself? And I would say, take the pressure. Just take the pressure off of yourself from having to even take any action. Because one of the things that convinces us that we don't know what the truth is, is the fear. Oh, shit. If I really own the truth then I might have to take action. So that kicks off and kicks in a survival mechanism in the brain of confusion. Like I'm confused. I don't know. I don't know what my purpose is because deep down, if I really own my purpose and I have a sense of what it is, but if I really own what my purpose is, then I might have to do something about it. I might have to take action and I'm afraid of what that might mean. But if I'm confused and I remain in confusion, I can always stay in the security of the, and, and, and the safety and have the future fantasy and the hope of the future fantasy. And so what lies am I telling myself? What am I pretending to not know? What am I pretending to not know? And be willing to, to just feel the, so, so you don't have to take action. Just own, I hate my job. Feel that, burn in that. Sounds simple, but if you do it, it will begin a process. I'm not in love with this person. I've been pretending that, you know, they have potential. They're going to grow. Maybe it's me. But no, I'm not in love. It's been five years. I'm not in love. I'm no longer in love. This is no longer aligned. Feel that. Feel the pain. Feel the fear. Feel the tears. Just, just start feeling whatever it starts to bring up for you. Because that marination is where the momentum is. And so when we lie to ourselves, you will feel pain. And so if someone is saying, well, I don't know if I'm like, here's how you know that you're lying to yourself on some level. If you're not sure if you're lying to yourself, you will feel some kind of pain within yourself. When we lie to ourselves, it's not meant to feel good. It's meant to feel painful. It will typically manifest as some kind of emotional pain, depression, heaviness, resentment, anger, Maybe a sign that you might be lying to yourself on some level. Pain is a signal. Pain is a gift. Pain is a blessing. Pain is just giving us feedback that there's some part of us that we're not truly in alignment with or acknowledging. We can pretend, but the pain is usually that signal showing us, hey, there's something that we're not really paying attention to that we need to pay attention to. And so it's just an invitation to say, okay, what, what is the cost of the lie? What is the cost? What is it costing me? And so it will manifest in some kind of emotional pain, often some 
phys- temporary physical ailment for a moment, you know, like backache, a shoulder ache, a neck ache. It may manifest as an ongoing disease. These can be signs that you're not telling yourself the truth, even if you're not conscious of. Because if you're like, no, I'm telling myself the complete truth, but I'm depressed and I'm happy. I got a backache. I got a disease. Something's usually off. Something's usually not in alignment. And so I think when we can feel not distract ourselves or numb the pain. We sex it away. We drink it away. We drug it away. We work it away. We social media away. Sometimes we even spiritualize and meditate it away so that we don't feel the pain of this misalignment. And so I just invite people to sit with the pain. Do you think that as humans though, we to have this experience in this three-dimensional reality in earth school, as you call it, do you think that we have to experience ongoing conflict or do you think that there's real liberation from that at some point where we don't have that feeling, we don't experience this pain that you're describing? And I know it's not black and white, but I sometimes wonder, is this a part of it? It's just having to to feel conflict and be up against things and to overcome things because that's sort of like we, our soul wants that sort of keep learning, keep trying, keep pushing. Yeah, I think there will always be some level of um, conflict in life, um, but I don't think it has to be suffering in the way that we make it for ourselves as human beings. And that suffering comes from our resistance to, resistance to learning the lesson or our resistance, a lie, our resistance to acknowledging what's true. Now, to me, pain is just a part of the process. As human beings, we're going to feel pain. In this physical dimension, soul school, life school, whatever we want to call it, um, this to me is not a realm of infinite utopia. (laughs) And it's not meant to be. We we, we don't incarnate into this human experience for that infinite utopia because it doesn't exist on this dimension. To me, this is a realm of duality. This that. And that, here's the paradox. When we can fully embrace this realm, this dimension as a realm of duality, interdependent polar opposites, that's the nature of life, up, down, black, white, good, bad, pain, pain, bliss, you know, joy, joy, sadness, life, death, male, female, yin, yang, plus, minus, up, down. It's, the, it's physics. It's just physics. It's not even personal. It's just physics. When we can, it's the Tao. When we can just embrace that this is what it is, there will be pain. Then it doesn't have to be suffering. When we can embrace that there will be levels of pain and it's not going to be perfect, then it, then we, it can free us up to shift our relationship to life, our relationship to managing our expectations of experience. And when our relationship to life shifts, then our experience of life shifts. And that's when... It doesn't have to be as painful as it was before when we were trying to find infinite, when we were trying to find a kind of infinite utopia in the finite, because that doesn't exist. You know, so we incarnate into a realm of limitation. And in this realm of limitation, I think with that friction that we're in, it, we're forced to find a deeper dimension of freedom. But a deeper dimension of freedom isn't found in here. And when we look for it in here, there'll be nothing but continual pain. And we look for it in drugs, food, sex, rock and roll, you know, things that where we're never going to find it. Right. And and so I don't think that 
as you evolve, I don't, I wouldn't say that you never experience pain or hurt or anger or emotions, but I do think that the way you navigate and the way you hold it and the way you relate to it and the way you move through it is what can completely uh, transform because then you don't have to identify it and hold on to it or resist it in the same way. You know, for me, my experience has become my capacity to feel, let's say, grief has only deepened, you know, and, and also my capacity to feel joy has deepened. And then, so what that frees up is just the willingness to experience your experience as you're experiencing it without resisting the pain. It's experiencing the, the it, sensation, right? It's a, and, it's, and not saying that that's bad that I'm having this experience. It's a sensation that we're having. And I, I completely align with that because I've, I've been feeling that same thing at the rate of which I can experience grief is allowing me to have more capacity to experience ecstasy. And it's interesting to watch these two things because, you know, it's the polarity, right? And it's just witnessing it and being curious about it and not putting a label on it. Yeah. 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 Beautiful. Yeah. And when, when you can experience your, your, your negative feeling and just be with it, it, it moves through and it dissolves. You know, when you try to resist it, it tends to stay stuck. But also simultaneously, even a blissful, happy, great feeling that we all try to chase when we experience it, just experience that, experience that without holding on to that either. And I think when we try to hold on to this and oh, I want to experience this blissful feeling forever is when we tend to push it away. So when we just experience our experience, knowing that all experience in this domain is transitory, mm -hmm. it's impermanent, none of it lasts forever, then we can start realizing that, oh, I, I, I am not the good feeling or the bad feeling. I am not the expansion or the contraction, that there really is a deeper dimension that the expansion and the contraction is happening inside of that I am. And you can start, as you mentioned, to witness them both happening. And I think there's the freedom. So it doesn't mean like pain goes away. It's just your relationship with it shifts as your sense of identification also expands in a really profound way. How do you define surrender since you've written an entire book about it? And I feel yeah. like everything we're talking about is almost like how you define it. But if you could succinctly put so, it, what is your definition of surrender? Look, I, I do think there's many misconceptions about surrender in our culture today. This idea that first surrender is like giving up, it's waving the white flag, it's weakness, it's passivity, it's doing nothing, that if you surrender, you won't manifest your goals, dreams, and desires, you'll be a victim, you'll be taken advantage of, you're going to get less in life. I'm actually saying if you surrender, what if you got more? Like more than you could even imagine with your conscious intention, your conscious mind, your ego, what if you got more and beyond your wildest dreams? And so surrender is a letting go. Surrender is a letting go of what's no longer aligned. Surrender is uh, an allowing. Surrender is a letting go of control, or I should say the illusion of control that we thought that we had. I think if the last few years have taught us anything, maybe we're realizing that we're not, we're not as in control as we thought. And so surrender is when we stop trying to force life to fit our or, or manipulate life, to fit our limited concept, our ego's limited concept of how we think it should be and how we think life should be and who we think we should be so that we can be truly available and open to the authentic expression and impulse 
a manifestation of what life is seeking to unfold to us. Then, and so surrender is when we take, shall we say, the limits of, of life. And many times without attachment of it's got to be this and I've got to have that and I've got to manifest that, we don't realize that we're often limiting life. We're putting limits on life and we go to life with this idea of, this is how it's got to be. And life wants to give us so much more, but we're so you know limited. And from that ego's perspective, we're not able to see the infinite possibilities. And so surrender is taking the limits out of life and having a, a complete openness, a complete curiosity, a complete availability. It doesn't mean that you sit there and do nothing. It means that you feel your deepest, most authentic truth, your soul's expression, your soul's truth, your soul's authenticity. And then you can align your actions and your strategy and your marketing and your resources aligned with what's most authentic and most true and give 100%, but without the attachment. And so surrender is that real openness. And I think when we surrender, we transcend ourselves. If you look at the great ones, Jesus, Buddha, Gandhi, Mother Teresa, um, Bruce Lee, Muhammad Ali, uh, you know, Elon Musk, even, you know, uh, uh, Oprah, uh, Mandela, they, they all at some point surrendered themselves to what was what was deeper than their logic, deeper than their mind. They surrendered themselves to to life. And I think that's that's when the magic happens. We all when I say magic, the book is called The Magic of Surrender. And when I say magic, everybody wants magic. Magic. I'm not talking about like a David Copperfield thing. Magic is that which is beyond what we can imagine. Right. For ourselves, that which is beyond. And if you look at the best things that have happened in your life or my life or most of our lives, we didn't plan them. They kind of happened, you know, in the meeting your soulmate, meeting your best friend, going meet me, launching that. It, they just kind of, unf- they happened in the process of living life. And Which if is you look so at interesting thing, because right now I feel like we're in this, this weird place where everybody is trying to almost curate their life based upon, right? Luck, the technology luck. that we have. And even with the online dating websites that I see and people trying to find love. And it seems like it's harder than ever before because there's this forcing happening. It's forcing. forcing, And I think the last two years is this global uh, intelligence, the divine uh, 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 in us as a human into a deeper level of surrender and letting go. And, and, you know, I, I joked with someone and I said, do, do you not think that the infinite intelligence that has been around for eternity or billions and billions and billions, of, you know, doesn't know what you need? The source of life that has birthed you into existence, does it, does it not know what you need? And here we go, go praying to God, God, please give me this, give me that. Give, I want this. Like the source of creation that we are all a part of, does it not know what we need? Like, and, and so I think. Surrender is a deeper trust, the willingness to trust more deeply beyond our mind. See, the reason we are always trying to curate is another form of control. And nothing wrong with curation, curation, but it's often the attachment to that curation because control is one of the ways that the ego tries to reinforce its existence. And the job of the ego is to control, to keep us safe and to reinforce its existence. And how it does that is controlling everything. Because I feel if I can control every element of my life, curate every element of my life, 
then I'm existing, then I'm real, then, then, then I won't get hurt like I was hurt when I was five and seven. And so I think that uh, the intention is beautiful, which is survival. And I think if we can realize the, the, the impulse that is driving much of our control patterns, and not judging, but just start to observe like, oh, wow, I see, I see what I'm doing. I wasn't aware, but I see where it's coming from, arising from fear. And we can start observing that and, and just begin meeting that with compassion. Just begin meeting ourselves with a moment of empathy, knowing that, wow, I see, I see my fear. I see my ego's resistance. Not bad, you know, not, nothing wrong, no judgment needed, but I see the underlying impulse of what's seeking to control and why. Then we can meet our, our, our control with compassion and then we can hold those parts of ourselves with with love and there can be a bit of a relaxation you know and a bit of a softening and and a bit of an opening and a bit more surrender just in stages you know and and i think if we look at when things didn't go according to plan in your life how often they turned out better than we could even imagine Absolutely. If we, if we really, like, if someone doesn't believe, just look at your life. When things didn't go according to plan, wow, that went bad. Somebody might say, well, no, no, but when things didn't go, go according to plan, everything ended up a disaster. It may have seemed like a disaster in the moment. You got fired from your job and then you had to live at home and that sucked. But if you didn't live at home, you wouldn't have met your girlfriend and then got married. If you didn't go back home, X, Y, Z wouldn't have happened. And so often from the perspective of the ego, we're not able to see the whole picture in the moment, but often when we step back years later, life begins making sense. And so I think one of the keys to surrender is the willingness to give up this, this need to constantly know what everything means in the moment, the need to constantly know what everything is. And if we can embrace the unknown, so when, when things don't go according to plan or things don't manifest, rather than assign a meaning to it, which is another form of control and limitation, we can just get curious, like, okay, step back. Like, oh, it's not going according to how I think it should be, but what, what could this mean? What else could this mean? What more amazing thing could be seeking to happen? I don't know, but I'm open to finding out and just remaining that availability, that availability in that space, rather than this is what it is, that availability in space is receptivity. Oh my magic. gosh, it's so beyond what I've been experiencing this whole past year, what you're saying, mm. just it's so I, I remember distinctly having a walk. I call them my soul walks. I walk and I just talk to myself and I just get in touch with what's going on, you know, and I remember having a discussion with myself was I've been living here a year now. I, I moved mm. from I had a whole nother life for like 11 years and I wow, wow, decided wow. to completely just change everything because I felt a calling that I needed to go. come here, move to go. the mountains, start up this podcast like a little over a year ago. I didn't know what was, you know, what was going to happen, <laughs> but I had a whole nother career businesses that I owned. I thought that they were going to become this big thing. COVID happened. Like so many lessons were learned, but I remember having this walk with myself and telling myself, you need to surrender. And once you surrender, then you will be able to un like 
understand what is supposed to happen. But it was funny because even then I was trying to control the surrender. So once I surrender, then all these things will happen to me and life will be amazing. And that was still a way of trying (sighs) to control. Right. And I laughed at myself because I'm like, that's not what surrender is. But I didn't really understand. Like I couldn't actually comprehend what surrender was Mm -hmm. until Mm -hmm. I just started experiencing it and just letting life take the flow in which it wanted to flow. And I had to stop micromanaging things out of my own anxiety and I'm wanting the outcome. And when, once I've been doing that, it's a pra- it is a practice because you have to practice and then trust a little and then you retract a little because you're nervous, right? Uh, if, expansion, this is, and expansion and contraction. Just, yeah. And now I'm at a place where it's almost like the surrendering to me, at least right now in this current place that I'm in, it's like the only way to go because I've just seen so many, so much magic happening, especially in the last like six months, not just for myself, but for my husband, for like people around me that it's like, it's, it's amazing. That's the magic. We, we, we all want the magic. When I ask anyone who wants more magic, everyone's like, I want the magic, but we often don't want to, we, we don't want to surrender. We want to hold on to who we were, but you can't have magic without surrender. And that's why I say surrender is the password to more magic. It's the password to freedom. It's, it's the key. You know, the yeah. next level of our life requires the next level of who we are. The next level of who we are requires that we let go of the old, that we let go of what's no longer aligned. But we t- the ego tends to hold on to all of that stuff as a way to be in control and protect and preserve ourselves uh, and holding on blocks our blessing. And so I would ask everyone just what is it you need to let go of, you know, and, and the degree to which we let go, we make space. And in that space, life can show up. And when life shows up from that surrender place, we're not just creating from the mind. Like you said something so interesting about surrender. I call that, and I'm guilty of it. I've been there. I call it fake surrender. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll surrender so that X, Y, Z can happen. <laughs> it's, it's a surrender like a, as a negotiation with a condition. Real surrender is when you know that this is, this is true. This is real. This is the direction. I need to let this go. And you don't really know where it's going to lead and you're willing to not project into the future what you want to have happen. Because then when you project into the future, your intention of what you want to have have, have happen, that intention is coming from your, your ego, your identity, which is still based in the conditioning of the past experience. So what you project into the future will be some version of the past. But when you say, okay, I surrender and you live in that open field of possibility, then the future is no longer limited to your past. That's when you can allow life to lead you from the inside and allow the revelation and the intelligence of life to show you and step outside of your past experience and past projection. That's when that's when miracles can happen beyond what you could imagine, because it's not being created from your imagination. Yes, I'm uh, going to leave the listeners on that. <laughs> 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 this was such a beautiful conversation. I'm 
I've, I've received so much from today. So thank you so much. Thanks. Where can the listeners find you? And I know you have your book launching. Yeah. Well, the book for the, depending on when people listen to yeah. the, the conversation, uh, the, the paperback book comes out May the 3rd. And so we just love everyone go get the paperback. It's a bit of, it's a roadmap into the stages of surrender and how to surrender in daily life, in, in all situations, relationship and business and career and purpose. So May the 3rd, go to Amazon, get the book, pre-order the book, uh, depending on when you listen to it, May the 14th. Uh, we pushed the date back, May the 14th. I'm doing a very special virtual online live event. It's called Reinvent Live. It's all about how to reinvent yourself. I'm going to share the seven stages of reinventing yourself, letting go of the old version of yourself and stepping into your true power. And so that's May the 14th. Once you go to Amazon, you can go to the website, www.kuteblackson.com forward slash reinvent seminar and your name, your email and your receipt info. You'll get access to the May 14th event and you'll also, oh, and also we'll put a replay up. So even if it's after and you'll get access to a bunch of free gifts. My main website is Coop Blackson. Uh, Instagram is Coop Blackson, Facebook, Coop Love Now. If people want to go on a, a deeper dive, one of my favorite things I do twice a year is a 12 day event in Bali and it's called www.boundlessblissbali.com. Wow. That's amazing. That sounds incredible. I've been eyeing Bali for a month now. I have a fascination with it. <laughs> so <laughs> who knows? Maybe you'll see me there. Uh, I'm definitely going to be putting all this in the show notes for everyone. Thank you. So you will have those links right away if you want to just go into the show notes and don't ha want to have to remember all of that. And uh, thank you so much for joining us Thanks today. For me. Thank you.